You're listening to the We're Not Fine podcast with Doug Jensen and Dr. Talia Jackson. Kelly, I could not be more excited to finally meet you in fake person virtually because this is the second go around of trying to have you on. The first time I was road tripping and the three of you were going to do this without me. And I did some like dances and some meditations and some prayers and I successfully sabotaged all of you because it didn't end up happening. I think there were voodoo dolls too. Just a few. Yeah, I felt, I felt, I felt it. And you know, what's interesting is from that, I walked away feeling less than a person because I couldn't figure out my audio and my video. And I was just looking at sweet Greg who wanted this so badly. And he's using these terminology things for me that I was like, what the F are you talking about, Greg? Yes. So I, went away from there feeling bad. Now after for behind the scenes, for those of you that don't know, I'm feeling really good about myself right now from an audio <laughs> standpoint. Cause I just witnessed some stuff that I will keep confidential, but I'm telling you, I am feeling on my game today. <laughs> that, Sorry, is that in comparison to us, Kelly? Is yes. that what you're saying? I mean, no, there's, just I chaos. Think there's just some I'm things just- that happened. I am just so happy that you now know that you were just having a parallel experience of what we go through every day. We actually have been in the studio for hours and we just figured out our audio like three and a half minutes ago. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, Another reason why you should be sort of glad, I know you said you were sort of jealous you weren't here with us in person, but you might be glad that you're not because I was, I, what I was thinking about this morning, I, you know, I was listening to your podcast and there's just something Mm. so warm and loving and kind about your voice that it just like, even Mm. your intro sort of almost brought me to tears. And I was just thinking like, if she were in the office, I would probably just want to like crawl into your arms and sob. So, Which I've done several times over the decades of knowing you, Kelly, over Smoke and Cosmos at our favorite hangout. But it is a gift of just like you create this space that feels so incredibly safe for Mm. grievers, which is literally every person on the planet, right? Who's ever felt a loss. Thank you, Talia. So sweet. So I might take the opportunity, and I'm glad, Talia, that you're with us, but I'm also ridiculously excited to have you, Kelly, uh, as a dear friend of mine for almost 30 years. Can you believe it? I know. We met in kindergarten. (laughs) Actually, I remember it earlier than that, because what are we, like 30, 32, 33, 34 old. Thank you. God, we have not aged a bit. And I can see you in that class. I think I spoke in the human diversity class on diverse family systems. And I think that's how we met in grad school, right? It is how we met. And I will tell you this without naming the professor. 
I know who that is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You knew more than the professor and it was so great to have you in. And I remember this so vividly, Doug, because you came in and I remember thinking, this guy must be pretty cool if he's a student, but he's coming in to teach our class. And it was, um, it was such a beautiful experience because it was in 1994, right? I mean, it was a time that, that we weren't talking about openly being gay, openly having a family as a gay man openly. And I just remember thinking, if I could be friends with this guy, Mm. that would be so cool. And I remember thinking that, and our dear friend, Arit, right, from I Montreal, know. was in I that know. class as well. I can and, see you two sitting against the wall. Yep. Oh, yeah. And when you left, yep. we looked at each other and we're like, can he teach our class for the rest of the semester? Oh, Kelly, that is so incredibly sweet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, over these several years, you and I have been supportive of each other's private practices. We've been supportive of each other's professional lives in all way. And I am incredibly like excited to have you on this format with me after all we've done together. I mean, we have gotten together for 30 years. I know. So I'm just, and I love that you can remember that as vividly as I do. And thank you for the very kind comments. Well, you know, we do, and, and I know we're talking about grief and I know we're, but you know, we do remember the starting point of things that are yep. important to us. And, and that's very common in our grief world, right? We go back to those times and we reminisce about those times. So I've thought about it many times because when I, I, have I give as well. gratitude, when I give gratitude for the people in my life, I'm like, I like to go back to those moments where it started and like, just give gratitude for that moment. And I don't believe in coincidences. So the fact that I was in that class registered for that particular one and got to meet you is is such a beautiful experience truly oh kelly that's very sweet thank you for those kind comments you know uh, speaking of grief by the way i'm sure you recall this as well i was probably one year into my private practice as an lgsw right not yet independently licensed and you invited me to speak to all of the medical professionals at fairview about grief and loss Wow! and i'm like i remember sitting there at the podium like and do I know what I'm talking about? Do I know what I'm doing? And of course we did of because course. you and I have been passionate about this issue and we've worked in this issue for mm-hmm. all of this time. Mm-hmm. So, and with that, I'm going to, I'm going to actually read a few things that I wrote down about you, the amazing mm-hmm. Kelly. Um, you mm-hmm. have worked with grief and loss and traumatic illness and death and dying with patients, families, colleagues, um, and others in palliative care, hospice, ha- hospital, and private practice settings. And of course, Kelly, now you are doing this amazing job of your own podcast. You have workshops under Conversations with Kelly, um, and you are the executive producer of the award-winning Dying is Not Giving Up documentary. Congratulations, Kelly. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud to know you and where you've come in your profession. It's really a gift to have you with us today. Ah, okay. Um, <laughs> are you grieving? These are happy tears. Yeah. Oh, darling. It's just, well, it's just a, you know, it's just a beautiful thing when you, I mean, how often do we get to sit and like take that in, right? And right. and I always think, I know when my eyes water, even when you were saying that earlier, Talia, um, they only water when pe- when I feel connected and respect people. You know, I mean, sometimes people tell us things and they kind of fall flat for me and it's like nice, but it doesn't bring me to this because it's like, I don't know that it's authentic, right? I don't know that it's true. And I just, I don't have a lot of connection necessarily with that person. And I always think there's an ulterior motive. So 
I do feel like time. There is like a truth resonance when somebody is speaking from the heart that just immediately connects to other people's hearts and their truth and giving permission to be vulnerable and authentic and real. And it's just so much fun to have these conversations with people who I feel like whatever that portal is, is like wide open and receiving the love and the goodness. And yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, So thank you, Doug. We probably want to get somewhat focused and talk mm-hmm. a little bit about why you're here. And of course, the We're Not Fine podcast, we focus on several different things, including uh, my primarily relationships. But, you know, grief is something, Kelly, that you and I both know affects everybody and affects every relationship we're in when we are in that grief process. Um, I want to know more specifically, and I know some things because I know you personally, but um, tell me about your interest. Tell the viewers about your interest in working with grief and loss and death, death and dying. So when I, so I often say when I start um, public speaking, I say things like I've been in this field since I was 11 years old and people kind of stop and they, they're like, whoa, what does that mean? When I was 11 and I was grocery shopping with my mom, Sandy, who was 33, had a massive heart attack on the grocery store floor. And mm-hmm. um, I didn't realize at that time that this is what I'd be doing clearly. I mean, you don't understand. And I, and actually fought going into this work. I started off in um, marketing and advertising, wanted to work at Vogue. Um, and that's a whole nother, anyway. So wanted to work at Vogue, wanted to make a ton of money in advertising, wanted to be New York, wanted to do all of that. Um, and so my mom was resuscitated in front of me and then lived, um, lived on a ventilator for three months. And then finally we, after two more heart attacks, took her off the ventilator and she died October 15th. So that's actually coming up. And Sandy was the impetus for me working in this field because we did the best we could do back in the eighties. But I do know that there were a lot of things I experienced as an 11 year old that I would never want an 11 year old to experience today. Um, and I would never want another patient to experience things that my mother experienced. So once I got on the track of working in grief and loss and end of life work, um, really fell in love with it. And again, I think, I think we're brought to these things. I don't know that I wouldn't say like, Oh, you know, it was a gift that she had this. I don't look at these tragedies and traumas as gifts, but I look at them as opportunities. So there's an opportunity that presents And through my healing work, which continues today, right, as it does for trauma, we continue our healing work, Um, I was brought to this field and saw little Kelly's, saw little 11-year-olds, saw Sandy's, saw all around the hospital, was lucky enough to get get an interview at a hospital, at an undergrad, that doesn't really happen, was grateful to get a job, and then was really lucky to be placed on the inpatient hospice unit um, as my assignment eventually. And so I didn't realize, and you guys might understand this, but I didn't realize in some of my interventions that I was doing things that was actually healing myself, or I was doing things that I thought I wish could have been done for myself or my family. And it was when I sat back and reflected, um, it was just an incredible experience. So that's a long answer. But it's, um, it's something I can talk about now with gratitude, 
really. It, and gratitude, again, not happy it happened. I would love for my mom to have died a different way. Um, I would love for my mom to have seen my children, met my husband, all these things. But I have gratitude for the ability to heal with that trauma and turn it into something that I'm hoping can help heal others' traumas. Kelly, you know, I think two things that you just said. First of all, thank you for sharing that. I do know that story, but thank you for sharing it with our viewers. It's quite courageous to be that uh, vulnerable and open about, you know, the origins of who you are as a clinician and as somebody who now does workshops and helps others with their grief process. But, you know, the, the inevitability, I, I appreciate you referencing it. We learn from our patients as well. We learn from those that we work with. And what a lovely place that you were able to go to in terms of like, being able to know this was not helpful for me. So I want to do something different for these people who are in the same circumstance. And you also said something that we'll likely reiterate in the context of this podcast, which is that grief is not something that has this finite end to it. Mm -hmm. And as October 15th rolls around for you every year, I know you memorialize and you have yeah. your experience emotionally about your yeah. mother's death. It's significant to know yeah. that piece. I think people feel like once you get to acceptance, it's over, but we'll talk yeah. about that as well further. Well, and absolutely. And our society actually does put a timeline on it. And now, yep. you know, we have this new thing called prolonged grief disorder that's come out. And um, I won't get into the politics of that, but it's um, <laughs> the fact that it's even called prolonged and disorder is an issue. And, um, and yet I have to say that is where our society goes. And so I'm glad that I can work with people and say, oh, it's been 30 years, or it's been 25 years, oh, it's been this, and just acknowledge for people, and I hope people listening to this, no matter when your loss happened, um, it's real, and if you feel grief, it's real, and I love that you brought up my patients, because one of my taglines when I teach, and what I live by, is the dying teach me how to live, and mm -hmm. it's an oxymoron to many people, but it's never been truer for me, um, that statement where when I'm at the bedside and I'm talking with the dying, they are bringing things to me that helps me live. And it gets real focused real fast on what matters most when you are at the bedside with somebody who maybe has hours to weeks to days to live. Kelly, what I really love about what you're saying a couple of things. It sounds like there's a lot of pain that comes al along with loss and you are mm -hmm. devoting your life to helping people grieve better, die better so that they're the unnecessary parts that are the pain is just the pain that is the necessary piece of yeah. loving and losing, but not all of the mm -hmm. extra what I also love about what you're saying is that you're, what you're saying is things don't happen for a reason. That's kind of bullshit. This isn't like a gift that this happened, a blessing that this is happening, but it's more, let's make meaning of what is happening. Let's use it as an opportunity for growth and for healing. Um, that feels really important um, so how would you even describe grief? How would you mm -hmm. define it? What is your experience with, like, how do you explain it to people? So I love that question. I've been asked that question many, many times. 
um, in my career. And really what's so interesting, Talia, is I think we each, um, we each want to define it because if we have a definition for something, then we think that there are these steps that we can take. And what I want to, what I want to kind of do a little psychoeducation is that loss is the event. So you have a marriage breakup, there's infidelity, there's a death, there's a breakup, there's a death of an animal, whatever that may be. And then grief, as we know it, is the reaction to the loss. So the loss actually does have a finite moment. We learn about a diagnosis, we're done learning about a diagnosis. Now we start our reaction to the diagnosis. Then we have mourning, which we hear about. And the mourning is M-O-U-R. And the mourning part is what we show society. So when we're crying, when we're angry, when we're talking, when we're memorializing, whatever we're doing externally is the mourning. What we would love to see is that our grief and our mourning experiences align. Because often what I see people show isn't necessarily what they're feeling inside. They're inhibited. They want to have it like they're all together. I'm doing okay. I'm fine. You know, all these things. And yet we know internally they're just struggling. So I like to say when people ask me, like, what is grief to you? And I always say grief is everything. It's everything. It's joy. It's anger. It's whatever you are experiencing, really. And don't let anybody. Don't let anybody, and whoever's listening to this, you included, (laughs) don't let anybody tell you that your grief isn't valid or that you don't have the right. And so grief is everything. I love that answer, Kelly. You know, I think oftentimes when you're working clinically with somebody, they'll have any number of experiences. There'll be this agitation or they'll, they'll, they'll have some of the symptoms. And it's very easy for those of us who work a lot with grief and loss to go back and understand it's very likely related to something that has been going on. And everyone's looking for that answer or everybody's looking for um, that sort of conclusive black and white answer to what that's about. I love how fluid you make this process Mm -hmm. and how regarding you are of how different people experience based on their past, based on their life experience circumstances, they can experience all kinds of emotions that don't necessarily follow a pattern. It's it's, what a lovely and unconditional. Go ahead. Well, and how many times as therapists have we been asked if from our patients, am I doing this right? Yeah. Is, and, and what I often see in grief is people will ask me, have you seen anyone else experience this? Because we don't want to feel alone in this experience. We want to know that there's some hope that there will be some reprieve. And I can tell people this with certainty. There will be a time where your grief will soften and there will be a time where your grief will even be a welcomed experience. And I don't know when that time is for for each individual, but a welcome experience because it is our continued bond to what we have lost. And so it's an opportunity where We can connect to that person. Let's say it's a person that died. We can connect to that person and feel a sense of love, connection, whatever it is. It's a welcomed companion. Now, if you recently lost somebody or something, that may not sit well with you. 
and that's okay. I wouldn't have believed it either. But I can tell you from somebody that's many years out that October 15th coming up. I have multiple feelings about it, about my mother dying. But I will tell you that I actually look forward to this is a time that I get to just be everything. Go to the cemetery, whatever I'm going to do that day, and reflect and cry and laugh and be angry. I used to, in some years, I dread the day. I dread it. But this year in particular, I'm I'm looking I'm taking the day, I'm taking part of the day off. I'm going to I often will bring a, a bottle of wine um because my mother's Italian. I don't drink the whole bottle of wine for the police that are listening. I don't get in the car and drive away, but I I will welcome somebody to come with me. I will have a glass of wine. I will cheers to her. I will cry. I will do whatever. Yep. But I think that's the thing is that society might look at me from afar and see me crying at her grave and walk over and see the year she died and think, what is wrong with her? What is wrong with her? And I used to care about that question. Like that used to matter to me. Again, my mourning and my grief maybe didn't react and somebody would drive by and I'd want to pull it together. Not anymore. Mm-hmm. Which speaks so much, Kelly, to how our communities struggle with emotions and how so many people are uncomfortable watching somebody else in pain yes. um, in, in the yes. case and, and how even you internalized some of that and wanted it to go away or maybe felt embarrassed or shameful about having those experiences. Um, Kelly, what a beautiful tribute to your mother and a way of keeping her memory so alive in your life. Isn't it true? We want to pull it together for other people. So why is it? in grief that we want to take care of other people and we are more focused on what they are experiencing versus what we are feeling. And I see that so often. I have to tell you as a therapist, as a grief therapist who has worked with thousands of people, I am always in awe of how people still apologize to me for crying as their therapist, or they give me the warning they're going to start crying, which I always love because I, my joke with them is, Hey, I recognize crying when I see it. Like, I know that's, I know what that is. I, you know, and I'll like, come on, I'm going to hold the space, but people say, I'm so sorry. You know, we know this as therapists. They take the, I'm so sorry. God, I'm just so sorry. That's liquid love, liquid regret, liquid guilt, liquid, whatever, let it flow. So yeah. I think it's time and grief in the, in a movement where we, I have, you know, my podcast is titled see my grief. That's my movement. It's time in the society that we stop apologizing for having our reactions to something that is so profound in our life. I mean, hearing you say that, it just sort of, I think that, Doug, what you just said about how we are so uncomfortable sitting with other people's pain and we're so uncomfortable sitting in our own pain that we're feeding. It's the same cycle of like, I don't want to burden you with what I'm feeling. I don't want you to feel obligated to take care of me. 
Therefore, I'm going to make this very isolating, lonely, empty, horrible experience even worse for myself by not allowing you or anyone else to be a part of it. I mean, it's very maladaptive if you think about it, but it's a natural instinct. Also, I think it's such an isolating experience because grief, at least in my experience, grief is just such a unique thing thumbprint to everybody. So it feels like even if you and I are grieving the same person, Mm -hmm. it feels different to me because of my experience with this person. So even you, who's also grieving the same person, I might not feel like you know what I'm feeling. So it's Mm -hmm. immediately just making us feel like we're walking a lonely road anyway. So that's so that's true. Talia, I'm so glad you brought that up. Cause I will say in my work with families or partners or whatever it is, there is a competition even in grief. So we mm. get competitive. I'm grieving more. I must have loved them more. You're not grieving enough. You're grieving too much. You're grieving this. And that's another thing we see a lot in family systems or in friend groups or at a place of work. If a colleague dies, um, you know, it's just, it's so, and again, I think we have to be aware of that. And I think we have to pull back. And that tells me then when people are, are reporting to me how other people are grieving in their family and they're putting judgment on it, I'll say, you know, I have to kind of gently call you out on that because if you're so focused on what they are doing, then you're not aligned with what your process is. You're not, mm. in, you're not sitting with your stuff. If you have all this time to be telling me and reporting, that is simply a detour away from where I want you to be sitting. And so as much as I think that's important, and I know people will report in a lot, but when it comes from a place of judgment, which happens a lot in grief, they aren't this, I'm not this, I'm to this, I'm that. I think we want to collectively take a pause and just notice what that means. That means we're not aligned with what our emotions are. We're focused on family A, B, C, and D. And really, it's quite irrelevant. It, it, you know, when I'm in, a, in my office with somebody, it's not really relevant right now to what I'm trying to get at with you. I want to hear about your experience. Yeah. Not in relation you know, to that it's better than your dad. I want to hear about yeah. your you know, you know, it's interesting. Um, we kind of had this outline of how we wanted to do today. I, know, so I totally want to, I know I want to stick on this. Like I am, I'm aware that we could talk about this in so many different ways and I want to keep, I'm going to keep going and I apologize, Greg. Uh, maybe we need two sessions with Kelly. Um, because I want to say two things about what you said. One of the things that I like, I love crime shows. I love court TV. I love all those things. And inevitably in these investigations, like if somebody has been murdered, the cops will be like, they're not even crying. And I'm yes. like, they don't need to like, that's not what necessarily the, the, the logarithm is to show that this person has remorse or, you know, sadness about this particular situation. And I mean, I just think it's a fascinating conversation. And I want to bring up something that we, we were going to bring up to you as well and kind of get your take on. And that's, of course, we have this loss of the Queen of England. Um, and I remember immediately looking online and seeing these very mixed comments about her death and yeah. realizing that everybody was having their own experience. Do you want to comment on that at all? Like when there's a public figure like this? Yeah. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, What an opportune time for us to even have this recording. Um, 
I want to say that I was just in London um, a couple months ago, and I was there. I saw the see, pictures. Yeah, I was there to see Adele, and I was there for Pride. So, um, but it happened to be also right after the Jubilee of the Queen, and and so what I want to say is that what, however you feel about the Queen, isn't really the point, right? The point is that public public figures when they die bring up collective experiences within ourselves. Now, if you don't really care about the queen, you may not feel anything. However, you may subconsciously be watching how many people are acknowledging her death and start to feel sad that maybe your loved one, when they died, hardly anybody acknowledged it. And Mm -hmm. it's also, you know, we get attached to people without ever meeting them. I mean, that is something that I think we all have to know. I work a lot with people who have metastatic cancer and they have these communities on Facebook and especially through COVID are very virtually connected. When somebody dies, it is heart-wrenching grief for them. And yet they have maybe never met this person in, in, in person. Yep. Yep. But that's where we get in our head about grief. So what I want to say about the queen is that it's, it's, if it's, you may be judging yourself, like, why am I sitting here crying, watching this? I don't even know her. I don't even live there. I don't even care about the royal family. And I just say, allow it. Because anytime these opportunities come up publicly, it is an opportunity for us to get in touch with maybe some things. And maybe the queen's death is a safer space to lean into with grief. We couldn't we couldn't experience when it actually happened. And so, but again, we get into this. I didn't even know her. I'm not even British. I did it. It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. And I want to say that there will be, I think I just heard something billions of people that are going to be watching her funeral. We also have a fascination with death and dying in this society. So fascinated by the fact that her coffin is laying state and people are sitting for 36 hours. We're fascinated by this whole experience. And part of that is because we're in a culture now where they're showing it. They're showing this. Mm-hmm. They're showing right. her grave. They're showing um, in Minneapolis, showing George Floyd's funeral on TV, watching the hearse, watching the casket, watching the family. People are tuning in because we're now starting to just slowly peek at, which was once so stigmatized and so closed and so try to hide it from us, that I think that's part of the thing, this fascination with the queen. It's like, wow, Hmm. you know, we're just so like, oh, but it can bring up a lot of feelings. And I've seen this online too, Doug. In fact, I was watching, I was listening to CNN in the car and this reporter went up to this woman and it was live and it was the like an hour after she died. And he said, Hey, you're here. Can you tell me a little bit about why you're here? And she's like, you know, I didn't even like the queen. Uh, I didn't even like the queen. And he's like, uh, okay. And I'm sure his producer's like cut her, you know, walk away, walk away. Now. Find the next one. Exactly. And he's like, Oh really? She said, no, I didn't really like the queen. I don't agree with the politics. You know, she was like 20. So she's in that generation of like, yeah, I don't have to like people that people tell me to like. So then he's like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's the experience. Then he went over to the other one right away. And I just thought, huh, 
what Talia was saying is how we all have different experiences for the same person. And that yeah. was an example. Now she didn't say what was, what we wanted, what CNN wanted to hear. And yet she said authentically what she felt. And that was real for her. And that exactly. also, I know this is, this isn't one of our questions. However, it just really brings me to wonder about, you know, I know you talked about in your beautiful podcast too, about all the different types of grief, one of which is complicated grief, where you're having an experience where you're not feeling all the feelings you think you should be feeling or uh, you think other people are feeling. You watch other people completely destroyed, sobbing, grieving from this very real place. And if you've had some trauma, that exactly. is a very different experience for you. And one thing that you said, Kelly, that I just loved so much is that you can't ever assume or just like these sympathy cards, you can't just assume that like, oh, I've got to do this thing because my, you know, my mother passed away. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. That's just terrible. Yeah. Don't assume that. That one thing that you can do to align yourself with the grieving is I think what you said was that must be really difficult. What is that like for you? Yes. Or even yes. just getting curious about not assuming anything about their grief experience. Exactly. One of the talks I've, I've done, it's been my favorite talk to date. And um, I often get brought in by funeral homes around the country to speak to the communities. And when I get brought in by funeral homes, these conversations are so real because it's not, um, not all the, the loss was anticipated. Not all the deaths were, I sit by the bed and have beautiful conversations. There's things like murder and suicide and um, all these different kinds of deaths, child loss, baby death, different things. So I had a woman stand up. It was a packed room. And she said, can you tell me what, what do you do when you hated the person who died? Hmm. She said, I'm kind of envious listening to some of these other questions of these people that absolutely adored the person that died. What do, and she's sobbing. What do you do when they threatened your safety and they did these things? And I hate this person that died. And you could have heard a pin drop in the room. And I said to her, first of all, thank you. Um, because I think we need to remember that when we hear the word grief and somebody died, that we don't automatically assign to that person um, all the things we assign in society. This, you know, this must be horrible for you. And I said to her, I said, but what I want to say to you is that all the things I'm saying actually still apply to you. This is really horrible for you. This must feel isolating. You must feel alone. There must be a level of shame, but I said, but your grief likely will be disenfranchised, which is a term that we use where we don't acknowledge it to, or we diminish it, or we, um, we judge it, whatever that may be. And she said, because I was estranged from this person, I haven't even been welcomed in on the planning, whatever, but she said, I literally hate this person. And I said, um, well, 
sounds like your loss started long before they died. Mm. And that I would love for you to at least acknowledge yourself as a griever and that acknowledge yourself for that the things that you lost, which you just mentioned to me, safety, will be one of the more complicating factors. And if you liked this person and they died and you had a loving relationship, it sounds to me like that for you would have been more straightforward and less. So I said, thank you for bringing that up. Now all of a sudden we've got all the people that don't love their people and didn't care for their people asking questions. We don't yep. do that enough. And I think we assume too much. And so for the people listening to this, your grief is still so valid. It's layered and complicated, but it is so valid. And in fact, it, it hurts and it's confusing. And I still want you to really acknowledge yourself as a griever of this person, but your loss started long before the death. In fact, oh. the death, I mean, the death it may not even be the issue here, right? The death right. may not be the issue. But I, I also think we can look at this from the framework of grief work and trauma work. We can look at it as, let's still look at this as a place of grief. Let's lean in. And they'll be like, well, I didn't even like them. I mean, everybody that's grieving in my family, they're crying and, you know, they're friends. And it was really hard to sit in that funeral because I had to sit and listen to all this BS about this person. Yeah. Now, as Talia said, not my experience. How do we ritualize with that person? How do we still validate everything they're experiencing? And I just say to people, let's go back. Let's go back. And I'm here. This is safe. And let's, um, let's look at it from a grief perspective right now. Maybe not a trauma perspective. Let's look at it from a grief perspective of what you lost when that incident occurred. I love that comment, Kelly. And even as we live in this world of the pandemic and political divisiveness, where there's mm -hmm. been enormous numbers of people who have died, people who have uh, prolonged, to use that word again, illness, uh, the divisiveness about vaccines and safety and, you know, political uh, or human human equality issues, for example, that have caused friends and families to, you know, part during this time. I don't want to jump too far into that too quickly. But there's so much that I think can go on simultaneously with whatever loss people are experiencing in grief process, and it can exacerbate it. It can be oh. complicating those emotions, right? Absolutely. Thank you for bringing it up. I think one of the things I've seen in the last two years, so <clears throat> I've gotten um, asked to do a couple COVID grief groups, which is um, very tender and very hard yeah. because... I can't imagine losing somebody I love so much and then somebody online saying that my grief isn't valid because what they died from wasn't, you know, true. So anyways, so I'm going to try to be really professional in my answer. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I'm going to try to be, because I have a lot of feelings about what's been going on. Um, Bless what I want to say is, when I see people getting so, um, when I see people getting so activated and so passionate about something, angry, you know, angry about this and judging and that, I seriously have had to come from a place 
where I look at them and say, what scares them about the truth about this? It's lovely. I have finally had to stop and go, this, if this issue is true, what's going on? We'll, We'll use COVID for example, like, okay, if this actually is a legitimate thing, wow. What scares them about this? And the thing I do in grief work, when I have somebody that's so angry and so argumentative and so, you know, so this isn't the, I stop for a minute. And, um, and I, and I've been training physicians to do this with their patients because people take it so personally. We take angry, you know, we take patients anger so personally, like, cause it is coming at us, but it's like, so I stop and say, hold on. I want to see your anger, but I also want to ask you a question. I want you to just take a breath for a second. I want to ask you, what scares you the most about this? And I will sit there for five minutes in the silence. And they will sometimes say, what the hell? And I said, no, I just want you to stop. And I just want to ask you, what scares you the most? And I will have to tell you that there is a breaking open that can happen where tears and emotions come because what I do know under anger is often a very, there's a very thin veil of anger and grief and fear. And Mm -hmm. so when we can, and I said, now that fear is something we can work with. That grief is something we can work with. Your anger, however, your anger as valid as it is, the way it's coming at me, I I can understand maybe why you're having relationship problems or about it. You know, we'll get into that. But we go to the fear. So I look at all these people online that are having all these big reactions. And I've had to say to myself, Kelly, you're spending so much energy on this and, and having all these feelings about these people and coming up with these names I didn't even know existed in the human language. I'll share those with you offline. But I have to tell you, I've had to look at them from a grief perspective and say, what scares them so much if this particular community has rights or if this particular thing is real or if reproductive justice actually happened or what is it? What scares them? And those are the questions. I am starting to ask these people instead of fighting about what I think is right. I just stop and I say, tell me what scares you so much. What scares you so much? And I say, what the hell are you doing? Just tell me, tell me. I can't tell you how much I love that because it really is generalizable to all people in that experience of like, if you lovingly, even from that grief perspective, call somebody out on the anger and ask like, what is that softer, more vulnerable underbelly that lies beneath this rage? It disarms the defense, right? It disarms that anger, even if they fight against you for a moment. Um, exactly. It softens Talia. It, exactly. And I, I would welcome somebody to ask me the same question about my mm. passion around my belief systems. I would welcome them to ask me what scares me the most if X, Y, and Z didn't happen. And I have the answer for them. Like I have the answer. It would put people I love in danger. It would da, 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 da all these things. 
And yet, because I can get very angry and act and activated around some of these issues. And I've learned we get nowhere when we just go ping pong back and forth. So I've just stopped and I've just said to fellow colleagues, fellow, whatever, I've just said, tell me, it scares you so much about that. What is the fear within that? And grief, we have to ask that of our people when we're working with people or when we're in relationship with people. And, you know, anger is important, but anger is a huge detour. I'm so clear that I cannot wait for next at the next episode with you and the next one, and they should all be in person. And we obviously need to continue this because it is such a pervasive issue for our entire, you know, humankind. Um, Kelly, words cannot express how grateful I am for you in my life, both personally and professional, professionally. But also, Kelly, just thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I can't wait for again more and more and more. Um, and of course, know that you are loved, and I will send positive thoughts and hugs on October 15th as well. Have a question for Doug or Talia. Email us your questions at questions at we're Eligible questions will be randomly selected for upcoming episodes. For details, visit our website at we're Join us every Tuesday for new conversations, new challenging topics and fun.